Take a seat. And if you grab your Bibles, then we've got two readings today. And the first is on page 677. So on 677, we're reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting at verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved that city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger, against, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, their wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant, and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. 
Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Then one more reading in Luke chapter 8 on page 1037. So Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on a good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he heard this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Thank you, Charlotte. My name's Nathan. Uh, If we've not met, it'd be lovely to meet you afterwards. I'm one of the ministers here at at Trinity. And perhaps you've... uh, come along for the first time today and think, what on earth is going on in in this book of Ecclesiastes that we've just heard the reading from? That's where we're spending our time in that first reading. And um, if you just pick up your service sheets, on the back there's a QR code. Next week will be our final week in Ecclesiastes where you can ask all the questions. Um, I'm glad to let you know that Kirsten is going to be helping me and answer them, the women's worker here. So um, next week we'll be taking questions on this book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, that could be from today's sermon, next week's Anything else uh, that might be useful for you? Good, let me pray before we look at this passage together. Lord, we're told in Isaiah that as the word of God goes out, it won't return empty, but will achieve what God desires. And I pray that would be the case today, Lord, as we hear your word, that we would respond well to it. Uh, that it would teach us, that it would perhaps rebuke us where we need that, that it would encourage us to live wholeheartedly for you and your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, a guy called Kevin DeYoung 
a Christian uh, author, wrote a book called Just Do Something. I don't know if any of you have seen or, or read that book. And in that book, he, he tells a story of a man uh, n- named Walter Houston, who died uh, aged 91. And this is what it says about it. Walter Houston died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. Walter Houston never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God in any way. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents in life. Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says long-term friend Timothy Burns. He worked very well with Wood and had a storyteller side to him too. I always told him, take a risk, try something new, and he never did. Kevin DeYoung goes on to say, there's no such man as Walter Walter Houston. That was a made-up story, but it's kind of believable, isn't it? Someone living their life like that, always about to do something, but just never quite doing it, never taking a risk, doing something with their life. And listen, we live, Theo's hinted at this already, we live in a society, don't we, at the moment in the UK, generally speaking, that, well, that wants to avoid risk and cling to certainty. Silly example, but you go on Sainsbury's, uh, online order on the website. Uh, one of the, the loo rolls, the toilet rolls on there, over a thousand people have reviewed that toilet roll, okay? You might be one of them here today, I don't know. Don't get me wrong, it's an important thing, but a thousand people just, just making sure that someone doesn't make a bad decision with their toilet roll. We don't like taking risks. We like to cling to certainty. But more seriously, Christians often look no different, perhaps. We want to avoid risk. We want to cling to well, comfort, ease of life. But simply put, in this section today we're going to be looking at in Ecclesiastes, the teacher will say to us, look, life is is unpredictable. It's risky. It's uncertain. So be bold. Have a go. Just do something for the Lord. Maybe that comes as a surprise to you. Uh, If you've been here in the last few weeks, as we've looked at this book of Ecclesiastes, Do you remember the teacher who we've been listening to? He's had that little motto that's come back time and time again. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless, he said. Life is fleeting. It's, our life is just like a a breath. It's gone. It's fleeting. It's transitory. And the only certain thing, he says, for all of us is that we're going to die. Death, that's the only certainty in life. And so you might expect him to respond then in saying, well, just, you might as well just give up in life, be gloomy, cynical, kind of glass half empty. But no, the teacher says, live wisely. And he'll say to us, be bold for God. Don't just live for kind of comfort and ease of life, but, but live by gospel priorities. Do something. Take a risk. Be bold for the Lord. Well, we're going to see that uh, in a couple of different ways. The handout there is a bit, uh, bit busy, but hopefully that will help you follow along where we're going. First of all, be wise amidst foolishness. It starts, uh, as Charlotte just read it out, you saw with, it, with a story, or, or more precisely, uh, 
an example of wisdom. It's perhaps a story from the Old Testament. Perhaps it's something from the author's um, own experience. But look at verse 14. We can see what's going on. It says this, verse 14 of chapter 9. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. I don't know if there's any Lord of the Rings fans out there, but uh, you know, I'm imagining a sort of Lord of the Rings battle scene here where the, the enemy has the latest military technology, uh, I don't know, battering rams, catapults, cut off the water, cut off the, that kind of thing, and surrounded the city. And it doesn't look great, does it? It doesn't look great for this little city. But verse 15, we're told there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. We, we don't know how he saved it. Scintillating speech, latest military maneuvers, I don't know. But his wisdom here is emphasized, isn't it? Oh, his status was poor, maybe a bit unimpressive. But his wisdom was, well, it was literally life-saving, wasn't it? Wisdom produces results. And so, okay, great guy. What did he get for it? Knighthood? Maybe one of those blue plaques, you know, you see above houses in Islington? We'll look at verse 15. Nobody remembered that poor man. Goes on in verse 16. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. Oh. Bit of a surprise, isn't it? I think the point here is that people are... People are fickle. Wisdom is often despised or perhaps rejected. Maybe there's an emphasis on the guy we're told here is poor. Maybe more people are just interested in social class and, and wealth, and they see that as being more important than the wisdom. Perhaps that's what's going on. But the teacher says that wisdom is worth it. But verse 18, you've got to know that it only takes one fool to destroy much good. Same idea in chapter 10, verse 1, in proverb form. Have a look there. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It's a bit of a gross image, isn't it? But, you know, uh, uh, one or three, perhaps, flies die in a bottle of perfume. Suddenly that sweet smell is, ooh, it's going to turn quite rancid. Do you remember last week I mentioned that bottle of Shamuk perfume, 1.25 minutes. You'd be pretty gutted if a fly dies in that, wouldn't it? Suddenly that's, that's worthless. But the point is that it, it only takes an ounce of folly, and that can destroy a ton of wisdom. Just, just an ounce of folly destroys a ton of wisdom. Check out this picture here. I don't know if you saw this uh, this week in the, in the news. And a uh, £740,000 piece of art... No, no comment on whether you would spend that money if you had it on that piece of art. But 740000 in a Russian gallery, and one of the security guards, it was his first day in the job, and uh, he got a bit bored, and so he did this. He, he drew a face onto it and completely ruined £740,000 of, of art. I'm presuming he got sacked. But a little bit of folly... Just a couple of pencils or pens or whatever it was. Ruins an ounce <laughs> of wisdom. You can probably take that picture down now because it makes me laugh every time I say it. <laughs> Be wise. 
Be wise. And so wisdom and folly are contrasted and unpacked in the rest of this chapter. Have a look at verse 2. You see that going on. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Look, that is not a political statement, okay? Some of you who are wanting to agree or disagree with that. Um, but more to the point, biblically, on the right, that, that's the place in the Bible of, of blessing and strength. So remember Jesus at the right hand of the Father? But the left, well, the left is the place of, of incompetence, biblically, turning the wrong direction in life. And so amidst foolishness, the teacher says in, in chapter 10, here's three ways to be wise. Let's head through these. First of all, be wise despite foolish leaders. Look at verse 4. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Maybe uh, you've had it in your workplace, or you've certainly heard of it, where the boss just absolutely loses it. You know, one day you're, you're sort of cowering behind the photocopier in the office as he just goes crazy. What are we to do? Well, it says here, the teacher says, don't react, don't leave in a huff. Getting angry, well, that's just going to make it worse. Look, it doesn't mean that you can never move job if that's happening every day or that you don't report abuse. It's not saying that. But I think it's what's unpacked in the New Testament where Jesus, we're, we're, told, we're told to be like Jesus, to be Christ-like, to be gentle. And actually that would speak volumes if we don't sort of blow up back in the face of, of that kind of thing. So foolish leaders will, will blow up in anger sometimes. But we're told also that they make poor decisions promoting inept people into positions of authority. That's what's going on in verses 6 and 7. We're told the rich here are low and slaves are promoted to horseback. You might hear that and think, sorry, that's good, right? The slaves are, are now in a position that's sort of been promoted. But actually horses, well, they were kind of the military technology of the day, okay? So if you were nobility or a ruler, you would have been trained from a young age how to, to get on a horse and ride it. And you would lead the army from the horse. And, and here, well, it's slaves who are on the horseback. It's a position that they weren't trained for. So what it's saying is that foolish leaders will make foolish decisions. They'll promote people above positions of, of their station that they're ready for. I'm sure none of you have ever seen that in your office or in your workplace, someone being promoted above their abilities. And actually, if we just skip, skip over to verse 16 to 20, that's also about leaders. Verse 16 it says, woe to the land or the country whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Again, you might think, it's good if it's a servant king, but look at the footnote there. It says, it's more likely to be a child. So basically, you've got a, a kid on the throne, ill-equipped, immature, someone running the country in charge of security and business who's just a child, immature. It's not great. And verse 20 says, look, if you're stuck with such a foolish leader, the wise thing is, is not to curse or revile them. I guess that's pretty tempting, maybe, for some of us in the UK or perhaps US in the last few years. We've had moments where we've maybe wanted to do that. 1 Timothy 2 would say, actually, we should pray for our leaders. 
And there's a danger as well in verse 20 that that the words we use apparently here come back to bite us. I wonder if uh, that's the origin of a a little birdie told me. You know that little phrase people use? Sure, there's a clever joke here about tweeting and our words online. And yeah, you can work that out maybe. Be wise despite foolish ears. Second little thing, in everyday risks. If you've been here, then a big theme in Ecclesiastes and in this section is that much of life is, is uncertain. It's really unpredictable. Every day there will be risks in life, won't there? But we've got to live. We've got to get out the front door. We've got to be bold and go for it. And so there's examples here. um, Verses, if you flick back, uh, verses 8 and 9 from the ancient world. So if you're digging a pit, you might fall into it. Or if you knock through a wall, a snake might bite you. You might get injured if you work in a quarry and drop a rock on your foot or something like that. I don't know. But we can turn these examples into modern day, can't we? Even with the best, I know some of us are involved in it, the best health and safety etiquette in the world, things still happen. If you work on a building site, you might get hurt. Or if you live in London, there's more likely to be a terror attack than if you live in Loughborough or Luton. That's just reality, isn't it? Or if you drive a car, there's more chance of something happening if you don't, probably. There's risks uncertainties everywhere oh but be wise verse 10 be wise you see what he says here if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened more strength is needed but skill will bring success i think here i've not worked a lot with axes uh, in my time but uh, if you've got an axe and it's unsharpened you're probably going for it a bit more aren't you and there's more chance of, of an injury and that's what it's saying so So sharpen it. Sharpen the carvery knife when you're carving your chicken on a Sunday roast. Use your head. Use common sense. And common sense, verse 11, for the snake charmer, a bit of an unusual example again for our ears, is to get the snake under control before it bites someone. That's what that's saying. Everyday risks. And then just rattling through the third little thing, uh, be wise in your speech. Verses 12 to 15. Ecclesiastes, and I've I've said, is in the wisdom literature genre in the Bible. And actually, all of the wisdom literature, uh, the tongue or speech, is kind of the litmus test if someone's wise or not. And so what should our words and our speech be like? Well, look at verse 12. It's to be wise. It's to be gracious. In other words, kind, appropriate. Our words are to be timely. I'm sure we've all met people like this. You just think of them and you think, yeah, they always always nail it. They always just know what, just the right thing, just the right right tone. Of course, the supreme example is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always he knew just how to chat to people, what to say, just the right words. Fools, on the other hand, well, they're consumed by their lips, verse 14. Uh, fools, uh, Fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? Fools like to talk a lot. The philosopher Plato once wrote, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. And that's kind of true, right? 
Actually, the, the fool, a trait of foolish speech will, will be, he says here, making confident predictions about the future. But a degree of humility is a far better thing. So it should come up on the screen, a verse from the book of James, where James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, very Ecclesiastes, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Be wise in your speech. Listen, we've rattled through that slightly, but we're going to land a little bit more in chapter 11 for our second point. That's this. Be bold amidst the unpredictable. Sometimes this has been called the, the entrepreneur's chapter in the Bible. Maybe you can recognize that. It's going to say to us, in chapter 11 here, life is unpredictable. You, you can't control it. You can't curate it perfectly as you would like. So be bold. Yeah, trust God. Take a risk. Go for it. Starts then in chapter 11 with the language of trade in verse 1. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. We know uh, Solomon might be in the backdrop here. And in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 10, it, it says of Solomon that he, he had a fleet of ships that he sent out to do trade and business. And he only really saw them come back, or the returns, every three years. It's quite a long time, right? There's no Amazon Prime back then. And it took a while for that. And of course, risk was linked with that. They could have met some pirates on the, on the waters, or, I don't know, some hole in the ship or whatever. And, and it's like, there's a risk involved. But he knew that nothing ventured, nothing gained. Have a go, is what he thought. And verse 2, he says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Uh, in the Bible, then, the number seven is often linked with sort of perfection, uh, that number. And he's saying, look, not just seven, but one more, eight. Go for it. Spread your risk sensibly. Diversify your investments, we might say. Don't put your eggs all in one basket. It's not just saying just gamble and, and kind of roll the dice cluelessly. Now, why is he saying it? Well, it's because we don't know the future. We can't predict what will happen. And gosh, how, how true has this been just in the last couple of years? Who could have seen and predicted what we've gone through as a nation in the last couple of years with COVID? I heard someone say the other day, actually, in this country, the last 14 years has basically just been one big sort of uncertainty. The financial crisis back in, or crash back in 2008, Brexit, uh, COVID. So yeah, I mentioned at the beginning, rise of national insurance and cost of... It's been sort of 14 years of uncertainty in this country. And actually think of many other places in the world, and it's much more uncertain and unstable. There's lots we can't control, but verse 4, don't let it paralyze you. You see verse 4, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Did anyone watch um, Clarkson's Farm? Anyone seen that on Amazon Prime? Jeremy Clarkson. It's quite a sort of Marmite character. But um, 
I didn't think I would like it, and I, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant that what they made of it. And Jeremy Clarkson basically sort of takes over this farm, and he has no idea what he's doing. But there's a brilliant young guy called Caleb, who's early 20s, real pro proper farmer guy. He has to go to London on one trip, and he's absolutely terrified. Um, but he helps Jeremy Clarkson in, in the everyday. And, and so often in the series, Jeremy Clarkson is, is faffing about, procrastinating, sort of tinkering with things and cars and stuff like that uh, and Caleb's just get on with it quick you need to plant the crop go for it get the tractor out and uh, Jeremy Clarkson says well but there might be a drought or, or the insects might kill all the plants or I'm, I should go back to Top Gear you know all these kind of things and he says just get on with it just do it see lots is beyond our knowledge in life lots is beyond our understanding verse five which of us knew where Storm Eunice was going to hit and blow. We can have a guess on the weather presenters do their best, don't they? Or, or the baby, the new uh, baby that Theo mentioned at the beginning, Aurelia. You know, we don't know how the cells divide at, at just the right time so that this part is a, a toe and this part is an arm. We, we, we don't know all these things. So verse 6, our last verse. Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Sow your seed, work hard, risks are everywhere, but have a go. Just as a side, I love that the Bible is, just addresses this kind of thing, right? Who, who knew that in the middle of Ecclesiastes, such practical, wise advice where do we land this? Three things that I just want to kind of drill it down, apply it um, to, to our lives a little bit more here for us. First of all, then, be bold in decision-making. I love one of the things at Trinity here is that God has, I can see it, has wired each of us really differently. And there are some people who, who are quite impulsive and, and just go for it and sometimes maybe need to slow down and a little bit of wisdom. But actually the word here is for the procrastinator, the person worried about commitment, waiting always for the perfect time, insulating themselves from risks or, or failure. And there is an encouragement in these verses to be bold, just to have a go. I don't know what that might be. It might be that someone at, at Trinity, one of the staff team, ask you maybe to lead a small group, a Bible study group, next, next summer, next year. And, uh, and you say, you're the kind of person maybe that says, well, um, let me go away and I'll pray about it and get back. Brilliant. Pray about it. That's a fantastic thing. Always do that. But then a few weeks go past, maybe a month goes past, a couple of months go past, and you say, oh, yeah, I'm not quite sure it's the right season in life at the moment. And um, maybe next year, uh, it's not quite, oh, there's someone else in the group who would be much, I think they'd be much better than me. All of those things might be absolutely true. There might be someone better than you. It might not be the perfect season. But it's kind of never the perfect season or the perfect time. Sometimes just go for it. Have a go. What's the worst that could happen? Or maybe something else. Don't, don't answer that. I wasn't a rhetorical. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe friendships. Maybe in, in church here, you, you're new to the church or maybe feel slightly sort of on the edges, a bit marginalized uh, in things. And maybe there's an encouragement here just to, to, to initiate say to a few people, do you, do you want to go for a drink this, sometime this week or after church? Maybe organize a group to go on holiday, even if you're not 100% sure you're all going to get on brilliantly. 
take a risk, reach out. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> and if you're someone maybe that, that finds sort of making decisions, um, just just kind of person that finds that really hard, really crippling, I know there will be some that just kind of find that very difficult. Again, this little bit um, that Kevin DeYoung wrote, he had something just very quickly, four things that might be helpful just for you today. Uh, what does the Bible say on the topic that you're thinking through? Look at that. Chat to a, another Christian, maybe an older, someone who's a bit wiser as a Christian. Pray for it. Pray about it. And then he says, go for it. Be bold. That might be helpful for you. What does the Bible say? Chat to a wiser Christian about it. Pray about it. Go for it. Might be something for you today. Be bold in decision making. Second little thing in application. Be bold in using our gifts. I think it was last summer. I've slightly lost track of any kind of timings over the last few years. But we, we preached, I think it was um, on Matthew 25, the, the parable of the talents. And actually the striking parallels in the language between this passage and that parable that Jesus told. And both would say that we've, we've only got a limited amount of time on this earth, limited amount of years. How will we use our life for God? How will we invest in his kingdom? Um, the staff team were, we went to a conference last Saturday, and uh, Saturday morning, and the guy who was speaking was a sort of uh, national director of a group of churches, and he said one of the, the striking things was that in lots of churches up and down the land, um, people coming back after COVID, uh, lots of churches, p- people just aren't jumping back and serving and getting on the rotors or doing the different ministries. Uh, and he said it's really hard because it means that just a few people are kind of doing everything, or maybe the staff team or, or whatever it might be. And look, I don't think that's a huge thing at Trinity. I think lots of people are serving brilliantly, and it's, it's wonderful. And I actually praise God that, that at Trinity, so many people are up for having a go, up for being bold, even if things don't always work out. Say, so I think of um, Bridgeside Lodge. Do you remember the, the old people's home? We tried to get in contact and start a ministry there. Didn't really happen. Didn't, didn't come to... That's okay. We had a go. Or um, blast-off Sundays that, if you're... If you're here the first thing, you're like, what on earth is that? Plus, on Sunday, a local kind of um, estate nearby, primary school, uh, kind of running something on the Sunday morning there. The first time, how many people came? Big fat zero. But we had a go. And, and last week, 13, 14 kids came. Families came as well. Praise God. But the results aren't up to us. But we can have a go. Maybe you think, uh, gosh, Nathan, I, I just don't really know what my gifts are. And look, there's so many ways that we can exercise gifts that the Lord has given us. Some, it might be financial, that we want to support generously gospel work. For others, it might be, I don't know, hosting a church lunch. And you think, oh, I can't cook. Just bung a pizza in the oven. No one will care. That's that's absolutely fine. Or, Or show mercy to someone in need this week. Particular example. She's not in the service, so I, I can get away with this. Um, with Crash, just at the back room there, Kirsten, the women's worker, she's finding herself on Crash probably three out of every four Sundays. And she's set aside as, as the women's worker at the church, and she's hardly ever in the service. And she goes about it quietly, won't ever complain about it. But wouldn't it be great if 
a few of us could just sign up, be on that rater, obviously go through the, the DBS um, child protection and training for that as well. But that would be a great thing, wouldn't it, to, to free her up and we could serve in that way. I'm pretty sure she would give you a hug after the service if you say you're up for that as well. Someone said, when it comes to kingdom work, we should be venture capitalists willing to take risks for the glory of God. I like that. And actually, many will find us, we, as we step out and have a go, actually, that's where we grow most as Christians, and it brings us real joy as well in the process. Final little thing. Be bold in sowing the words of God. Farming metaphors then. Maybe we don't use them every day, but they've been in this passage a lot. And, and sowing the seed, that is linked most of all biblically to sowing the word of God. We heard that in the, the parable that Charlotte read out. See, actually the greatest thing that we could give people is showing them Jesus Christ in his word, the Bible. Sowing the seed of the gospel. I love hearing from someone at church recently about with their kids in the morning before school that they sit down around the kitchen table and, and open the Bible and, and, and hear what Jesus has to say. Sowing the seeds. Brilliant. Or maybe it's someone else with a, a one-to-one Bible study, reading the Bible with a colleague after work. And you think, well, Nathan, that's not me. I'm, I'm not gifted in that way. Well, sometimes we just need to have a go and see how it goes. We can give you help or resources. I'll pay for Bible study notes if you want to do that. I'll pay for that personally. Or maybe invite friends along to one of the events that Theo or Jeremy will mention later. See, even in this book, then of Ecclesiastes, in this book, it can, it can sound pretty negative, can't it, at points throughout this book we've seen. But these verses, they encourage action. They encourage boldness, a life that matters, that can have purpose for the Lord. But actually, ultimately, the Christian well, has a, you could say, a stronger, a stronger standpoint, really, than the teacher of Ecclesiastes. Because we have the standpoint of eternity. See, in an uncertain and baffling world, the Christian has certainty about the future. Because of Jesus Christ, that he died and that he rose again for us. We can know confidently, if we trust in him, where we're going. We know where we're going. And with that standpoint of eternity, assured and certain, oh, that is liberating. It frees us up to go for it and have a risk for the Lord. Take a risk. We don't need to be like the made-up guy, Walter Houston. We don't need to be like that. We can have a go, take a risk for the Lord and live for his glory. In a minute then, John is, is going to come up and lead us in our prayers before we sing our last song, A Church Arise. But a little quote will just come up here that I'll read. And then just pause for a few moments for us just to have a reflection on it before John comes up and leads us to pray. This is from a brilliant book called Destiny by a guy called David Gibson. It's challenging. He says this, the perspective of the Bible the wise perspective, and it sounds so stark because we are used to thinking in terms of predictability and ease and comfort and our right to life and happiness, and because we believe all of these things more than we believe the Bible, is that we might be dead this time tomorrow. If so, what would you wish you could have done with your money, your home, your time, your gifts, 
your life. Let's just pause, and then in a few moments, John will come up.